So this time we are in the Gospel of Luke. Last week we are in the Gospel of Matthew. If you notice, this past few weeks we've been studying through the Gospels. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 24. And may I request everyone to please stand as I read God's Word. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All this I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. May God bless the reading from the gospel. Please be seated. We continue with our series, Who's Your One? And I hope that by now, you have already some improvements, or should I say, you should have already some plans on how you can invite your one to church with us. Who is your one? This one is the one person in your network of friends that you want to share Jesus Christ with. This is the one person that we commit to the Lord this year, 2021. One person that hopefully can come and be part of our church. So who is your one? Now, for this morning's lesson, we are going to talk about another person a potential one, right? And let me start with this question that this man asked our Lord. What must a man do to enter heaven? What must a man do to enter heaven? I want you to reflect on that for a moment. Have I done that already? Do I have the assurance that when I die, I will wake up in heaven. Or I'm still doubting. You, know? you do not know. When you die and you wake up, you wake up in hell. And by the way, there are only two places that a dead person will wake up to. Either you wake up in heaven or you wake up in hell. Only two places according to our Lord. So what must a man do to enter heaven? That's the question 
that a lot of people asked for many centuries and a lot of religion tried to answer. But there's only one answer to that. There's only one way for a person to go to heaven. And it's very sad that the man that we are going to study today missed that one. So, the title of our message this morning, The Man Who Almost Entered Heaven. You know, this is a sad story. You know, we've been listening to those people who met the Lord and after they met Christ, their lives were never the same again. They're happy. They have the assurance of salvation. But there's this one particular man who had the same privilege as the others. Here's a man who was sad when he approached the Lord and went away even more sad. <laughs> the man who almost entered heaven. The alternate title of this, but it's quite lengthy, so you know, the alternate title of this is this. The man who went to hell with heaven on mind. <laughs> with heaven on mind, you know. Because this man really wants to go to heaven. Alright? So what would cause a man to turn his back from the most important decision in his life? His eternal life. You know? So I want us to study. This is a very familiar lesson. I know all of us know about this. But I want us to approach this lesson in a new way. Alright? As if we don't know the story, all right? Because it's so easy for us to say, you know, I know this story. This is so familiar. Yeah, he's a, he's a ruler. He came to Jesus and went home because he was sad because he has so many, you know, possessions. But I want us to look, to look at this passage again with a fresh mind and heart, all right? That we are welcome, welcoming new insights from God's Word. Amen? Now, our main idea for this lesson is just very basic. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Right? That's the whole idea of this passage. That salvation is the grace of God. It is not something that we work with. It is not something that you earn. It is not a reward, no. It is a gift. And that is the lesson that this man missed in this particular story. So let's jump into the story immediately first. Let's go to the, you know, the three things that we need to know about this man. Right? And by the way, for the context, this story happens immediately. Right? If you remember, when children were coming to Jesus Christ and the disciples, you know, forbid them. And Jesus says, you know, do not stop little children from coming to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Right? So, the context here is that Jesus Christ is really talking about the kingdom. How people can enter the kingdom. So, the previous story, Jesus was saying, you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. Then this man came. So for us, we find that, you know what? The Holy Spirit is really organizing these lessons 
so that we will know for us today we can understand this man is trying to enter God's kingdom but the story before that Jesus is saying let the little children come because they belong to God's kingdom so there's a connection here all right there's a connection here how can a person enter God's kingdom all right three things about this man first let's start with the man's success the man's success. Of all the people who ever came to the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, this man probably is the only one who went away worse, <laughs> worse than when he came. But he is successful. He has what it takes for a person at the time to be called successful. Look at this. Verse 18, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First thing we find is that he was a ruler. He was a ruler. And the Greek word there, archon, A-R-C-H-O-N, archon, it means a person invested with power and dignity. So there is power in this person, there is dignity, and scholars say that he's probably a ruler of the synagogue. And when you are a ruler of a synagogue, it means you're a successful man because surely the religious leaders would not allow anyone to just be a ruler in a synagogue. Right? And that would mean that he must have dignity. He must have something there to prove that he's a ruler. And According to Matthew's account, the same story, Matthew calls him young man. So he's a young person and yet he's a ruler already. So that's something unique. Because during the time, you know, the tradition is that for you to become a ruler, somehow you have to be an elder. <laughs> right? You have to be mature than the rest. But here's a young man who is now in the level of being a ruler of the synagogue, so there must be something impressive about this man. Right? Surely, he did not just bribe himself to this position because in the synagogue, who are the people in the synagogue? Who are the leaders there? The Pharisees, the priests, the religious leaders, the scribes. But here's a young man who became a ruler. So he is successful in the eyes of the Jewish public. Second, we find that this man, of course, obviously is a re so religious. He became a ruler in the synagogue. Remember at that time, one of the ways you could ever be the ruler in the synagogue would be that you were the most spiritually morally, religiously, and financially impressive <laughs> in the congregation. You have to understand, you know, the theology of the Pharisees' brethren. If we have prosperity gospel today, it did not start in America. It did not start with some famous, you know, tele-evangelists. It started with the Pharisees because their, their theology, remember? The more money you have, you know, the more blessed you are. So if you are, if you are healthy, if you are wealthy, then you are 
a blessed person. Right? If you are poor, if you are sick, you are cursed. That's their theology. And that's why Christ was so against them. Many times Jesus Christ says, these Pharisees are only for money. That's why Christ often talks about money and wealth. Why? Because he knew that the theology of the Pharisees was about wealth and money. That if you are a child of God, you have to be wealthy. Well, of course, that is not true. Right? So he was religious. In fact, when Christ says, you know, you have to obey the commandments, notice what this young man said. All these I have kept since I was a boy. So impressive. Imagine that. Since a boy. He has been studying. So when you say since a boy, meaning to say since he was a child until he entered the ministry through the bar mitzvah, 12 years old, they become, you know, they can become part in the community of the adults. So he's religious. Righteous in his own self-estimation. All right? He followed the Jewish tradition and the laws of God. And of course, number three, he was rich. <laughs> he was rich. See? The Bible says that he was very wealthy. <laughs> Not just rich. You know, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all had the same description of this man. Very wealthy. Not just wealthy. Very wealthy. So imagine this, brethren. You are young. You have a good position in the community. You are walking in the ways of the Lord as far as tradition and, and laws is concerned. And you are rich. Friends, this is the ideal husband. <laughs> no? This is the, what do you call that? The, sa ganit ng game show? Sa, 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 what? What's that game show? Nga, you know, they have to, to, to look for this, the, this ben, best husband to be. I forgot. There's a, but anyway, this man is ideal, right? This is the perfect man. This is a person that you want to enter to heaven. He's good. I mean, there's nothing bad in this person, right? So that's, that's the success. He's successful in the eyes of people. And he, this is the kind of a man that I would want our women and youth, you know, to pray for. You know, rich, righteous, what is a ruler, religious, see, very good person. And one thing also, when it comes to his spirituality, he is simply looking for the right things. Because the second thing we're going to talk about is his search, the man's search, Right? The man search. As Jesus started on his way, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this now from Mark's account. A man ran up to him, take note, he was running and fell on his knees. He's reverent also. You know, he's respectful of Christ. So, dili lang daito siya rich, religious, 
Isa pa? Ruler. He's also respectful and he's also a runner. <laughs> he's a runner. No? He's running to Christ. And friends, at the time, if you're a dignified person, running is not the right way to approach a rabbi. But here, you know, Mark is telling us he was running. In other words, that gives us an idea that this guy, this young man, has something so pressing. There's a burning inside of him that he wants to be with the Lord at this very moment. So the idea of running, it, it, it gives us the idea of what? There's something immediate, urgent. Alright? There's urgency there. I want, I want to ask the Lord. See? So the first thing we find here is that this man came to the right person. He came to the right person. Obviously, this man is not a disinterested bystander among the crowd. He is not one of those, you know, just curious and consumer waiting for some miracles. No. I would, I would think that this man is one of those who, who are really convinced. He, here's a man who is searching for the right thing. And he is searching for the right person. Alright? Sometimes we think, we judge the person, oh, he's just for money. But look at this. He came to Christ and asking for something. He came to the right person. And notice how he addressed the Lord. Good teacher. Good teacher. Right? That's how he addressed the Lord. He falls on his knees and he uses a form of address that was somewhat unusual during the time. Alright? They call, they call rabbi, they, they have some different way of respecting a rabbi, but not a good rabbi or a good teacher. In Greek, didaskale agathe. Okay, the word good is agathon. So if your name is aga, it means you're good. Agathos, agatha. Agatha means you're good. But here, didaskale, you know, didaska. Didasko means to teach. That's Camp Didasko in, you know, Pastor Jimmy's Camp Didasko in Argao. Okay, it means teaching or teach. Didaskale agathe, good teacher. It's not a usual combination. In fact, Jesus Christ answered, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, friends, Let's analyze that phrase because a lot of skeptics, atheists, and liberals would say, see, Jesus himself is not claiming to be God because here's a man who calls him good that Jesus says, don't call me good, I'm not good, only God is good. Now, sometimes that's how they interpret this passage. But Jesus Christ is not saying that. Good teacher, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus is not saying I'm not good, but he's asking why. Because at that time, again, Jesus was right. At that time, you only call good God. Alright? Not the, the, the rabbi or the teacher. Alright? So why do you call me good? So the question of Jesus Christ was something like, do you know who you are talking to. 
Are you aware of the implication of your address? You call me good. Well, only God is good. So what Christ is saying is this, if only God is good and you call me good, are you aware that you are talking to God? That's the implication. Because Jesus Christ was trying to probe because this man, probably he heard about Christ, he heard about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, and so he's there. But whether he was sincere or not, we do not know. Only Jesus Christ knows. But for the sake of the disciples, Jesus is asking the man, why do you call me good? Are you aware of the implications? Are you aware of the ramifications when you call me good? Because only God is good. So it's like Christ saying, are you trying to tell me that you acknowledge me as God? Because only God is good. That's the point. So this is not a verse that somehow Jesus Christ denies his deity. In fact, this is a verse that somehow Christ is affirming his deity. That Jesus Christ is God. Right? So friends, he's coming to the right person. And friends, second thing about his search, he came with the right pursuit. You know, he came to the right person because he is truly the good teacher. He's truly the truth. He's the source of all truth. He went to the right person. He was seeking for the truth. And friends, the best thing is this. He came to the source of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This man is looking for a way to go to the Father, and he approached the right person. Look at what he's asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Friends, let me tell you, this is the best candidate for your one. See, you don't have any problem with this guy. You know why? Because he is searching for God. He is searching for eternal life. I wish this is my one. See? I hope. No, let's pray. Lord, I hope that my one is like this ruler, searching. The pursuit is genuine. Look at this. He's young. He's a ruler. And he has a good moral standing and he is seeking, he is pursuing that which is eternal. This is the ideal man. No? Those of you singles here, pray that the man that you will soon, you will call your husband is a man who is pursuing God. Okay. Marry that man. Okay. Not pursuing you, not pursuing wealth. He's not asking for more wealth, no. He's not searching for earthly things, no. This man is searching for eternal things. Inherit eternal life. This man is deep. Okay. He's really deep with his search. So, so far, everything seems good about this man. You know, financially stable, you know. Socially dignified, he's a ruler. And then we find the third. 
he came with the wrong proposition. Alright? He had the right pursuit, but somehow, he had the wrong proposition about salvation. Notice his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Clearly, this man falls into the category of people who believe in what? Salvation by work. And friends, salvation by work, sometimes you say, you know, it's something in, in, in recent times, no? Salvation by work, again, is part of the theology of the Pharisees, you know, of the religious leaders at that time. Not in the Bible, not in the Old Testament, it is their misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Because clearly, you know, the righteous shall live by faith. Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith. But along the way, somehow these people have perverted the Word of God. So it has become what? A salvation by work. And so this fine man's soteriology is that I can go to heaven, I can have everlasting life as a result of what I do. You will find that in his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Now, Jesus answered, well, if that's your soteriology, let's see. So what happens here is that Jesus Christ was just going along with his theology. And we'll see where the man would stumble later. Alright? Jesus saying like this, alright, so if your theology is that you can go to heaven because of what you do, alright, let's see. We'll see if you have done this. So Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And you know the answer of the man. I have kept them. See, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. To which the man replied, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now here in this verse, friends, you know, people, you know, we vary in the way we interpret the man's reaction. Some people would say, yeah, he's just so boastful. Or others would say, maybe he's just so sincere. We do not know. God only knows. Because that's what he said. All this I have kept since I was a boy. So I would go for those people who believe that this man was somehow sincere. I mean, there are people who really live like that, right? Like, you know, you were... You were trained by your parents to do what is right, to follow what is good, to follow the Bible. But of course, this man has not, of course, the point is this. Yes, with all his mind and heart, he tried to obey the laws, but none is perfect. Right? None is perfect. So Christ is saying, all right, if you want a salvation by works, fine. Is that applicable? Yes. In fact, God can use that way. Salvation by works, yes, that's true. But here's the condition. If you perfectly obey everything, you can go to heaven. The question, is there one person in the universe who can perfectly obey? 
Only one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed, but us, we don't. So, if you say, Pastor, is it okay if God used that equation, salvation by works? Yes. Yes. But the problem, none can do it. No one. No one. Right? Now, in the EE, if you remember, you know what, you know what is EE? Evangelism Explosion. We have this training in our church. Uh, this was a, a, a ministry started by, by James Kennedy, Pastor James Kennedy, uh, back in 1962, right? To train churches on evangelism. And, and one, of the, one of the diagnostic questions that you ask a person that you're sharing the gospel is this. If you were to stand before God and He were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What's going to be your answer? I want you to reflect on this question. Let's, let's do an experiment, all right? If you're asked this question, I want you to answer in your mind. What's going to be your answer? God is asking you, you are now judgment day, and God is asking you, why should I let you in? What's going to be your answer? You know what? 80% of people, you know, 80% of people worldwide, their answer is this, because I am good, because I have not murdered anyone. I have not stolen so much, so much. Right? In other words, a lot of the answers is that, you know, because I'm a good person and, you know, I don't think hell is for me. So somehow, we have the theology that, you know, I think I can go to heaven because I have not murdered anyone. I have not committed heinous crimes. So fairly, I think, you know, God is good na Monday. So, you know, I'm going to go to heaven. Right? That's the theology. That's the theology of this man. Why, why should you enter heaven? Because as a child, you know, I've been, I've been a good boy. You know, I go to church. You know, I lie, but just white lies. You know, I've stolen, but you know what? 10 pesos, di po tamhel ang 10 pesos regikawat, oy. I've killed, you know, only mosquitoes and cockroaches. So, I think I can go to heaven. That's the problem, friends. I think. Now, a little boy was asked this question. Five-year-old boy. Same question. When you face God, why should I let you in? You know what this boy answered? The boy says, very easy question. Why should I let you in heaven? The boy answered, because I'm dead. <laughs> because I'm dead. So that's why I have to be in heaven. <laughs> and friends, that's funny, but also that's, a lot, that's the theology of some people. Some people thought they have this theology justified by death. You will know that in funerals. Look at when you go to funerals. Suddenly people say, you know, he's in heaven right now. Diba? He was, diba? You will find the theology, you know, the justification by death during funerals. A lot of people would assume, you know what, he's in heaven right now. Even how we console people, you know what, he's in a much better place, he's in heaven right now. The cliche. So suddenly people go to heaven because they die. 
Is that the theology in the Bible? Friends, the answer to that question, what must I do, is the very reason that sparked the, the 16th century Reformation. Because during that time, a lot of people, the church was teaching people, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to pray as long as this, you have to do confession, you have to go through all the sacraments so that you will be welcomed in heaven. That was the theology. And when Martin Luther was reading the Bible, you know Martin Luther? He was a very pious man. He would be staying in the confessional for hours. Why? Because he was trying to be justified by what? By what he does. He prays. He fasts. And he went through all the pilgrimages, the pilgrimage site. Why? Because, because it was taught during the time that when you go to this pilgrimage site, you will receive some merits. And when you kiss the bones of the saints, you will gain merits again. So he went through all that, but still, he was empty inside. So what this young ruler felt was the same feeling of Martin Luther. They did everything, but still there was emptiness. This young ruler was doing all the religious things that any normal Jewish boy should do. But still, the works, the laws, the obedience brings emptiness. That's why he's running to Christ. Lord, what must I do? Surely there is something else. That's what Martin Luther felt. He was longing for the justification from God because even though he was doing all religious things, Martin Luther felt that he was still guilty of sin until God led him to Romans. The book of Romans, it opened the mind of Martin Luther, particularly in Romans 1.17, that in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So after all, Martin Luther realized that my righteousness is not something that I do. It is something that God gives. To be justified, to be accepted by God, to, to be received by God is not a result of what I do, but it's a result of what He did. Amen? Christianity, friends, is not a doing religion. It's a done religion. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. It's His work, not ours. That's why this man's proposition is wrong. What's the obvious answer? What must I do? The answer is nothing. Because it's by faith. There is nothing you can do. Why? Because God is demanding perfection. You and I can never be perfect. So God says, alright, if you want salvation by works, so be it. Okay, who, who has perfectly obeyed the laws of God? And then God says, alright, None of you pass. Here's a different proposition. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. Which way you will choose? See? 
Look at Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2.16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. See? That's the answer. What must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biblical answer, brethren. And now we go to the sorrow of the man. So we've seen the man's success. He searched. He was searching. Friends, listen. He was searching for the right thing. He came to the right person at the right time. He was very right because he was young. And yet, he met the man but went home sad. Right? Look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Again, because the theology of the man is what? Works. Salvation by works. So he thought, I have done already all the necessary thing to be saved because that's what Jesus said. Do the commandments, all right? You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. All right? When he heard this, look at this. This is a very sad part. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. Again, he was sad when he got there, and now he's even more sad. <laughs> you know? It was crystal clear. He was. Can you imagine this tragedy here, brethren? Tragedy of tragedies. He went to the Savior. See? He came to the source of salvation, not any of the disciples. He went to the source. He approached the man who was the key to heaven and still forfeited it. What a sad reality. Now friends, his sorrow was not godly sorrow because there is a godly sorrow, you know. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. His sorrow was not that, you know, Lord, you know, I have sinned. Forgive me. That was not the sorrow. Because the Bible gives us the reason for his sorrow. He was sorrowful because he was very wealthy. In other words, there are three things there that brought this man much sorrow. By the way, the word there is, is very emphatic. You know, the Greek word for sorrow or sad or sadness is lupe. So if you have a name lupe, it means, you know, you're sad. <laughs> but, but there is a prefix added, all right, peri. So it, you know, it bloats the sadness, it aggravates the sadness. That's why when it is translated in English, it is very sad. <laughs> it's peri lupus. All right? In other words, you are exceedingly sad. So the man 
So, so the, the Bible writers here wants us to really understand what this guy is feeling. He was really, really sad. You know why he was so really sad? It's not that he was convicted of his sin. The Bible tells us the reason. He was very sad because he was very wealthy. Okay, why was the man very sad? Number one, because he lacked one thing. It made him sad. He lacked one thing. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus gets right to the very heart of the matter. All right, you thought that, that you can go to heaven because you are living a perfect life. Okay, then Jesus said, okay, have you done this? Then he stumbled because he lacked one thing. See? So, so he thought that, you know, I, I had this figured out. I know I'm going to heaven because I've done all these things. And he thought, you know, he was expecting, you know, he was expecting that after he's, saying, after he's telling Jesus, I've done this, all these things, he expected Jesus to say, well done, you can enter. <laughs> but Jesus said, you lack one thing. See, friends, we always lack one thing. It's that one thing that's very important. He thought that he can go to heaven because of what he has done. And Jesus says, you, not, you have to understand Jesus is the heart of man. Okay? Jesus never, never rebuked the man that, you know, you were not, you know, you were not, you know. He was saying, Jesus knew his heart. He was sincere. But there was a God inside his heart that's blocking the way. It's wealth. You lack one thing. Get rid of that idol and you can truly worship God. Okay? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, look at this, is guilty of breaking all of it. See? So this is the lacking thing. James 2.10. See? If, if you want salvation by works, obey everything. Because if you stumble one, miss all. See? It's just zero and 100. There's no 99. No one can go to heaven with a 99 score. God only accepts 100. <laughs> that why? That's why towards the end of this, of this lesson, that's why, the, notice the question of the disciples, who then can be saved? The point is this, because they thought that, huh, can I you day 100% Lord? So the disciples were asking, Lord, who then can be saved? And notice the answer of Jesus. With man, salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Second reason why he's sad, because he can't sell everything. See? That was the command of Christ. Sell everything and you will have, what? Treasure in heaven. Now, by the way, friends, listen, listen. Jesus is not giving us a universal rule here. Alright? Jesus is not saying that in order for you to enter heaven, you have to sell everything and you follow Jesus. Because otherwise, that means all of us are not entering heaven here. Have you sold? How many of you have two cars? How many of you have houses? See? Can you imagine if this is the universal rule of Christ? None of us in this room are saved. Not even me. Alright? 
Because the Bible is very clear. Sell everything you have. Now, is Jesus Christ setting there the rule for salvation? Absolutely not. He is what? Testing the faith of the man. He is not asking all of us. In fact, in most of the dealings with Christ, only very few were commanded to sell everything. He was telling the man to sell everything because Jesus knew that was the idol. It could have been a man. It could have been a woman. It could have been family. But for this guy, it was the wealth. So the point is this. What is the principle here, pastor? The principle is this. If God asks you to sell, are you willing? Because that might happen in your life. The point of Jesus is this. If you want to go to heaven, I want you to go there with empty hands. Because all you have is me. That's the point of Christ. You have to trade your treasures. I have to be your only treasure. That is why Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's like a little child. What's the point? What's the connection here? Pastor Maki, little child, this young man. Because a little child don't have properties. A little child don't have anything. That's the point of Christ. You can go to heaven when your full trust is in me. This man has his everything where? You know, his source of, of security, his source of identity is what? His treasures. Jesus is saying, you know what? If you want to go to heaven, I need to be your source of security. I need to be your source of identity. Your identity is me, not things. So sell them. Friends, it's important that we understand that. What is your source of security today? Who is your greatest treasure? Right? I'm not commanding and I'm not teaching that you should sell all your properties and give it to our community pantry. If you want to do that, make sure it comes from God. It should not come from me. Alright? But the point is this. When God asks you to relinquish all those things, would you still be willing? Can you still say, I am still me, pastor, without my properties? Why? Because our identity is found in Jesus. This man's identity and security is his wealth. Alright? So he is just saying, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but you know, this is still mine. And Jesus is saying, oh no. You know, when you were born in this earth, you were bringing you know, nothing. And when you leave, nothing. See? But this man was not willing to trade his idol. And so the man was so sad. See? He was very sad because the Bible says because he was very wealthy. Right? He wasn't willing to trade his earthly treasures for God's treasures. Right? So there is some blindness in this man. He doesn't know true value. He's not willing to trade a nickel for a billion. And that is just even a very, you know, simple illustration. A nickel over a billion. 
this man is not willing to trade his happiness with Jesus Christ. That's why he's very sad. Luke 14.33, the Bible says, Those of you who do not give up everything you have, warning, you cannot be my disciple. See? Does that mean that the true disciples are only those monks, those nuns who have relinquished everything and they are staying in some monasteries? No. Do not give up. In other words, it's okay, you know, if you have properties now, if you have riches now, fine, as long as you know your Lord. They are not your Lord. And that if one day, whether Satan or some circumstances will remove all these houses, just like Job, can you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, that's what a saved person is. You don't say, all my life was there. <laughs> right? Like, when masunog imong kuan, tatsunog tanan imong mga jewelries, and you say, all my life was there. Really? Jesus was there? <laughs> because if you're a believer, all your life is Christ. The rest, everything else are just what? Accessories. Amen? That's the point here. But this guy wants to embrace the accessory and not the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. And Jesus was right there before him. And so as a result, friends, he was sad. Why? Because he gained nothing. He gained nothing. See? That's why Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And friends, Jesus is not making here, again, a universal principle that rich people cannot enter heaven because if that were true, then I'm sorry, maybe half of us here, sorry, you cannot go to heaven. Unless you donate everything to the community pantry, then you can go to heaven. But that is not what the Bible is teaching, right? How hard it is for the rich person. Why? Jesus even making an exaggeration. It is even easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because rich people have the tendency to cling on to their wealth and have it as a source of life, as a source of identity, and as a source of security. Jesus says, you know what? If you want to go to heaven, I need to be your source of security, not your wealth. So he gained nothing by holding on to everything. That's the sad reality. Because he wanted to hold on to his wealth, he could not reach heaven. This young man's wealth made his life comfortable and so he could not follow Jesus Christ because he's just too comfortable with his life. Again, Jesus says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but what? Loses his own soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Friends, he came excited and went away sad. He came seeking eternal life but went away empty. 
You see, the Bible tells us he was very wealthy, but in reality, brethren, listen, in reality, he was bankrupt. Friends, understand this. We are all debtors of God. We are all debtors of God. Every time we sin, we incur a debt. Every time we sin, we incur a debt. So every day, we, our debt before God is rising, it's rising, it's rising. Right? And no amount of good works. It's not about balancing, no? It's not that, you know, I, go, I do a good work, then my debt is paid. No! <laughs> From the time we sin until now, our debts are so high. But only Christ pays for that death. And you know what this man, listen, you know what this man missed? The only person who could pay his entire death is right before him. And he walks away from him. Because he was clinging on to some dirt. Paul says, some dung. Treasures on earth. Friends, I pray that God will open our eyes that we'll see the true value. Who is more valuable to us? The wealth, the treasures of this earth or Jesus Christ? Because this man, he was rich, he was religious, but he was blind. He was blind that he was walking away from the very person who could lead him to everlasting life. So conclusion, the disciples asked, who then can be saved if that's the case? The answer, none. No one can be saved on his own, on, on her own terms. But here's the good news, brethren. What is impossible with man is possible with God when we trust Him. Amen? Let me close with this. You don't have to walk away sad today. You don't have to. Release your idols. If you see that there are idols in your life today, release them and receive Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been to this church for many times, but you've never received Christ into your life. I don't want you to end up like this rich young ruler. What if, you know, God forbid, there's going to be a heart attack, there's going to be a stroke, there's going to be an accident. I don't want those things to happen, but what if those things will happen and you will die and then you will face the judgment seat of God and God will ask you, why would I allow you to enter heaven? What's going to be your answer? Because I attended the worship? Because you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the answer, brethren. It's Jesus. And so dare not go home sad because I want you to go home happy because what you have is everything. Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this story. We are so sad about the fate of that man. But it's an example, Lord, a warning, an illustration, Lord, that we don't have to follow. We have you right now. We have your word. We have your truth, Lord. Thank you so much, Jesus, for coming.
We don't want to miss this opportunity. That we want to embrace you, Jesus, as our greatest treasure. And yes, we receive you for the sake of those who have not yet received Christ. Let's do it again. Today, I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, I request you, I humbly ask you to please come into my life. I want to receive you today as my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for your promise that because I believe in you, I receive eternal life today. I received something that that man long time ago did not receive. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord, follow you every moment of my life. Amen.